So what in the world is ordination? What have you shown up to today? <laughs> I want to read something to you uh, from a, a minister's manual. It says, on the part of the church, this ceremony is an act of approval, not an act of bestowal. We're not, we're not doing anything. We're not bestowing or uh, conferring anything upon anyone. It is an acknowledgment that God has bestowed certain gifts and has called the individual to service. It symbolizes what God has already done as a work of grace in the life of the person called. Ordination does not impart any rights or qualifications which God has not already bestowed. Ordination does not bestow any honor or authority on one above another. The New Testament doctrine of the priesthood of believers would preclude this idea of ordination. So what we are doing here is we are officially recognizing what God is already doing. All right, this is not uh, setting up any difference. You know, I am a pastor here at Calvary Chapel Orlando. Pastor Tom is a pastor here at Calvary Chapel Orlando, and we're going to ordain two more men as pastors here at Calvary Chapel Orlando. That's the role that we play in Calvary Chapel Orlando, just like you have a role to play here at Calvary Chapel Orlando. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, you could turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for our teaching today, and I will attempt the impossible task of keeping a short sermon today. But in Titus 1.5, it says, Paul says to Titus, for this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Pastors are a necessary part of a healthy church. If we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, it talks about um, this idea of the church being built up to a place where they're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but, but they're matured in their faith, and they're able to everybody be connected where they're supposed to be in the body of Christ, so the body of Christ has everything it needs. And before it says that, it says, and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers. Those are one thing together in the original language, pastor-teachers. Pastors are a necessary part of a healthy church. Paul and Barnabas ordained elders in every church they planted. We see in Acts 14.23, when they, they plant the church and then they revisit on, on their way back to their home church at Antioch, and on their way back they ordained elders in every one of those churches. They didn't want them to continue forward without having elders. So before we can talk about what ordination is, then what is a pastor or an elder and what are you know, are they different roles? Is a pastor this and an elder this? No, the roles are not different. In fact, there is a third word used in the Scripture to describe this role. In Second Timothy, or First Timothy chapter 3, it says to us, he who desires the office of a bishop desires a good work. This is a faithful saying. If a man desire the position of a, of a bishop, he desires a good work. These words, pastor, elder, bishop, they are less titles, per se, and more descriptions of the way this role functions in the church. And so what we do is we see them used interchangeably all throughout the New Testament. In Titus chapter 1.5, I already read to you this idea, ordain, he says, elders in every city. But then he goes down in verse 7, and he talks about the requirements for them, and he says, for a bishop must be, and then he lists out the requirements. 
in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and verse 28. Again, we see words used interchangeably. In Acts 20, verse 17, it says to us, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And then in verse 28, he says, therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among you, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the word bishop. And then it says to shepherd the church of God. That's the word pastor. These, these three words are all used interchangeably for the same role in the body of Christ in Scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, Peter says, you know, I who am also an elder am speaking to you, my fellow elders, about how you should eld. And then he tells them in verse 3, take the oversight thereof. It's that same word, episkopos, bishop. Be a bishop. Take the oversight. Now, pastors are called pastor teachers in Ephesians 4, and they're Ability to teach as a requirement for bishops in 1 Timothy 3.2. So we see here they're descriptive terms and they're interchangeable. They're not different roles in the church. How do these different words describe the role? Well, the word elder, it describes the leader's maturity and the example of their character. You know, they're an elder, someone you can look up to, someone you can follow their example. The word bishop describes the leader's duty to see that things are done correctly in the church, taking the oversight. And the word pastor, well, it describes his responsibility to love and feed God's sheep, to be a shepherd, to care for them. Now, to be an example to the body of Christ you know, to have the duty of overseeing things in the body of Christ, to have the responsibility to care for and love Jesus' sheep. Nobody here is my sheep. You're Jesus' sheep. I'm just a sheepdog. I just keep chasing you back to the shepherd, you know? Bark at you sometimes, you know? You know, come up to you and, you know, nuzzle up to you. Things are going to be okay. Just keep heading toward the shepherd. But those heavy responsibilities, they... That, therefore, means there are requirements for the role, which is where we come to the concept of ordination. And so, my text this morning will be in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to do all of three and verses, first five verses of chapter 4. But we will, yeah, I know, you're, you're, par- you're panicking, so. But it brings up the question of why is ordination important? Like, why do we need to do this? Why can't we just, well, it's clear, you know, they're, they're leaders, so let them lead, you know? Why is it important that the church recognizes what God is doing? Well, we see here that when Paul was talking to Timothy, he explained that we live in perilous times. He says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. The word there, know this, means you must know. It's emphatic in the Greek. It's right at the beginning of the sentence. It means this is important, Timothy. This is crucial because this is what's going to happen someday. Well, guess what, guys? Someday is here. We live in perilous times. 
And what makes those times perilous? Well, he goes on in verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The problem isn't just that men will be this way. The problem is people in the church will be this way. The problem is leaders in the church will become this way. They'll be greedy for money. They'll want to make a name for themselves. They will not love others when it costs them something. That's what it says here when it says they do not have natural affection. They'll be without the love and affection that causes a shepherd to lay his life down for the sheep. They will be truce breakers, which means they'll be unforgiving. You hurt me, I hurt you. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, it says this, Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. Oh, they love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts. And yet they devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These shall receive greater condemnation. The problem with the perilous times we live in Paul told the Ephesian elders, he goes, I know that from among you guys. He's having a pastor's conference, and he says to him, I know from among you guys there will rise up wolves, grievous wolves, who will feast on the sheep instead of feeding them. We live in perilous times because leaders will arise who are selfish instead of being servants. In addition, Paul goes on to say in verse 5 of 2 Timothy 3, he says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and leave captive silly women laden with lusts, led away with divers lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now like Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men, just like theirs was. It's not only because leaders will arise who are selfish instead of servants, but because leaders will arise who look spiritual, but they're not like Jesus. They have the form, the appearance of godliness, godlikeness. They'll have the appearance of being like Jesus, but they will deny the power of godliness. The word deny means to verbally renounce a relationship with something. You know, when we talk about leaders in the church, one of the things we have to remember first is that being a Christian, being a Christian is about a relationship with Jesus based on his life, death, and resurrection for me. The power of God to transform me, to change me, like that song talked about. This is where I was, and look where I'm standing now. Look at what Jesus did. Leaders are Christians first. <laughs> I still remember one of the best pieces of advice I got as a, a pastor of only a year. 
He said, God, another pastor said to me, God's more interested in you than he is in your ministry. We're Christians first. We read about it in Ezekiel 34. We read about the shepherds who feast on the flock, right? They don't go out and bind up those who have been broken and wounded. They don't, they don't go out and care for those. They don't go, go rescue those who've been lost or bring back those that have been driven away. They look spiritual, but they're not like Jesus, who we know leaves the 99 to go find the one, right? That's why we're all here, because we're the one, right? <laughs> At one point in time, we were the one. And as my Bible college president used to say, Jesus ran me down and stormed the capital, the, the citadel of my heart, and he took me captive. That's what he did for each of us. That's why we're standing here. And so that means that since there's going to be perilous times where there's going to be leaders who are selfish instead of servants, where there's going to be leaders, you know, who are, look spiritual, but they're not like Jesus, that means God is looking for someone he can use. He's looking for someone he can use. And Paul was an example of someone God could use. In verse 10 of 2 Timothy 3, but you have fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions and afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord deliver me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers, deceivers, they shall work worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul was an example of someone God could use because of the things he lists here. He says, you have known, fully known my doctrine, Timothy. It, Paul was solid doctrinally. He understood the scriptures correctly. That's, an, that's someone who God can use. He mentions here, you've fully known my manner of life. He had godly character. His conduct was, was someone that God could use. He said, you've known my purpose. Paul had the right priorities. Things were in the right order, you know, of priority in his life. He says, you've known my faith, or should be translated faithfulness. Paul was dependable. You could count on him. You know, my long-suffering Man, if you want to you be used of God, you've got to learn to be patient with people. You can't be impatient with people if you want God to use you because he's patient with us. How can you shine Jesus if you're not patient like he is? You won't. You'll have that form of godliness, but not looking like Jesus. You know my love. That's that word agape, that unconditional devotion. Paul loved people. And then he says, you know my patience, which means endurance or perseverance. Paul endured through difficult things. He wasn't the guy who would walk away from the faith because times got hard. And then lastly, he talked about his persecutions and afflictions. He was willing to suffer so that others could be benefited. He was an example of someone God could use. And not only that, but Paul believed in the power of God's word to change lives. He tells Timothy, how are you going to be a good pastor? He says, you continue in the things that you have learned and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them, and that from a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. 
All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know, we use that verse. We're good pastors. We use that verse and tell you. That's why you need to read your Bible. But the whole idea of why Paul's writing this to Timothy isn't so he can tell his church to read his Bible. It's so Timothy will read his Bible. Paul loved the true wisdom of God. We know that the fear of the Lord, true wisdom, is to hate evil. It's to love what God loves, to hate what he hates. And we find out what God loves and what he hates in his word. So when you find a man who, and observe him over time who exemplifies this kind of character, this kind of service, this kind of heart toward the word of God, it becomes evident that God has ordained them and then therefore we must recognize it. I have had the privilege to observe Mike Avila and Justin Reyes for almost eight years. And it is evident that God has ordained them. And it is time to recognize that, to charge them to be faithful to their calling. And so that brings us to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And while there's certainly truths here for all of us, Mike and Justin, if you guys wouldn't mind standing where you are. There he is. He's hiding in the back. That's how you know he's called. He doesn't want to be seen. This is my charge to you, men. I know this will be uncomfortable. You're standing while everybody else is sitting. But it's meant to be. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. We just studied Revelation. Every man's going to appear before the Lord. And so whether it's reaching out to the lost or building up the believer, it is required of stewards to be found faithful in that day. So many days when I've looked in the mirror and I thought, God, I'm done. And the thought has come into my mind. I'm going to have to tell my family that, tell my kids I quit, that God wasn't able to do it in me, to tell the congregation I quit, and to realize that that may have an impact upon souls for eternity. We serve because we will stand before God someday and because every other person God brings into our lives will too. Our motivation to our faithful calling is this charge. Jesus is coming back. Our business as elders, as pastors, is laid out for us here in verses two through five. Preach the word. Charles Spurgeon said, I am sometimes accused of saying sharp things. That charge does not come home to my conscience with very great power. For if anybody said I spoke smooth things, I think it would oppress me a great deal more. For as long as there are evils in this world, God's ministers are bound to protect against them. It is not our words about God's word that matters, but God's words. Proclaim them. Preach them. Be instant, in season and out of season. Keep on keeping on is what the word instant means. Whether it's a convenient time or whether it's an inconvenient time, be ready and willing to serve. 
And then it says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Love God's people even when it seems like they don't want to listen, even when it seems like they don't want to do what God says. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. In contrast, you guard the truth. Watch thou in all things. The word there, watch, means to be clear-headed, sober-minded. Stay the course. Keep a good head on your shoulders. Remember what we're here for. Endure afflictions. Persevere. Do the work of an evangelist. Share the faith with those who don't believe. And make full proof of your ministry. The phrase make full proof, it means to accomplish or fully or fulfill completely. It means finish your race. God has so much in store for you. We have had the pleasure of witnessing what God does through you in all the various ways that you minister here at Calvary Chapel Orlando and for some times beyond. God has so much more in store for you. Finish your race. Finish it well. Now, with the charge done, I'm going to ask Mike and Justin to come on up here to the stage with me, and I'm going to actually invite uh, Tom, Pastor Tom to come up as well for the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands is the symbol of recognizing God's ordained leaders all throughout the Bible. This is always the case in the Scriptures. So come on up. Yeah, come on up top. So, yeah. And so this is why we do it. We do it in obedience to the Word of God. There's nothing magical that happens when we lay hands on, on, on these people. It's not like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you know, I've got some power that you don't have and I'm giving it to them. That's not the point, you know. I remember I was at Night of Joy once and, and, uh, and, and had a friend who came from a, a different church environment and, and she was quite excitable and, and it was a pretty exciting night. And, you know, I remember something happened. She's like, ooh, I've got the Holy Spirit, quick. And I was like, I ran, you know. I was like, I don't, I don't want what you have, you know. It's not like that. It's the idea of, again, God's already got his hand on these men. And so we're a visual representation of what God is already doing. We're recognizing that. That's what we're doing. And so as is traditional, I want to read the requirements for an elder before you. 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, able to teach, not given to wine, not a striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, that, that means money, but patient, not a brawler, and not covetous. One that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Justin hasn't had the opportunity to fulfill that yet, but I'm confident. <laughs> After all, he oversees all of our kids. <laughs> For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, not a new believer, not a new convert. 
lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, outside the church, the world, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. In other words, that the enemy can point out areas of failure and as a result bring reproach upon the church. These are heavy requirements. And certainly when we read through these things, we know that no one is perfectly capable of doing this all the time. But what Paul is describing here is requirements of a life, that this is the general characteristics of their life. Now, these men have been observed by many of you longer than even I have in my life. And so I'm going to ask, um, first off, uh, those who are elders, and I've already spoken to them, uh, I'm going to ask them to stand. I've, there's two men I ordained at a previous church that are here this morning, and I'm asking them to stand to testify that they have observed Mike and Justin's lives and that they do indeed meet those requirements. So if you gentlemen could stand now, please. Amen. Amen. Uh, this isn't something I just sprang on them. Uh, you know, we, we had conversations, and, uh, uh, and they know these guys, and they, they, they're not here. I'm not twisting their arms. They, ha- they are testifying and recognizing that Justin and Mike meet these requirements. In addition to this, I, I've asked our CCO leaders, if you two could remain standing. Um, I've asked some of our CCO leaders to stand where they're sitting right now to signify that these men meet those requirements. And you'll recognize people that lead various ministries that you're a part of here in the church. So if, if you uh, folks could stand right now, that would be great. Amen. Amen. These are the people that know you best. Right? <laughs> These are the people who have observed your life. We're not doing anything here except recognizing what God's already doing. This is right, and this is good in the eyes of the Lord. You guys can all be seated. And so I have one final charge for you, and then I will ask you to make a commitment. <laughs> in John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus says this. Then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. There is no other responsibility being placed upon them here. You know, it's not like we're looking at them now, oh, now you gotta really toe the line. It's just the same way Jesus sent out the disciples. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. That's the charge you're under. That's the expectation that we're all looking for. Did you just keep following Jesus as he's been leading you up to this point? And if you do that, you'll have the same impact that the disciples had, the same impact that you've already been having. So, well, Justin and Mike, do you promise to walk worthily of the vocation to which you are called? seeking always to bring honor to the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord? Do you promise diligently and faithfully to perform the duties of a minister of the gospel with no thought of personal reward or honor, having as your primary motives the winning of persons to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and the building up of the church of Christ through inspiration, teaching, exhortation, and stewardship to the glory of God? Do you so promise? Amen. Amen. Well, If you would all stand, I'm going to, me and Tom, we're going to lay hands on these guys and we're going to pray for them.
Lord, what a joy it is to be here with my brothers. What a joy it is to serve with two men, Lord, who, Lord, they just love you. Lord, they're your sheep first. They seek your face. And Lord, they've followed you down this road. And here we all are just saying, well, look at what the Lord has done. And so, Lord, we pray even now that even as you've been using them, Lord, through so many years, as you have brought them to this place, look where they're standing now in that sense. Lord, even, even though that's the case, we pray now that you confer unto them or whatever gifts they need to continue to fulfill the ministry you've given to them, Lord. That you would pour out your spirit upon them and equip them for the days ahead. Lord, that they might even expand in, in their influence, Lord, uh, in the body of Christ. Lord, that you would use them both inside the church and outside the church, Lord, as just shining beacons for you. Lord, that you would bless their families, be with them, protect them from the attacks of the enemy as they serve. Lord, we love you and we commit them to you and we look forward to what God is going to do through them in the future until you should come. And as you wait, Lord, as you tarry, Lord, what a joy it is to serve you. Bless them, I pray. Lord, we love them and we thank you for them. We recognize the work you're doing in them. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen.